Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Today's show is pre-recorded, so we won't be able to take calls. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, good morning, beloved family. It's good to be with you. I am with you. The program is pre-recorded, and every once in a while we need to travel or do a conference or something else, and we plan in advance. So in those cases, we know in advance, and I pre-record programs. They're not reruns. They are brand new programs, and normally the plan is that we're teaching through the Catechism Explained but when we have a pre-record, um, rather than break up the whole sequence of the catechism, it's always going to be on a special topic. And so today, um, you can still email, you could still put your comments, uh, at uh, send them to uh, the Station of the Cross, mother at the Station of the Cross.com, Facebook, all of that. Um, but um, you simply won't be able to call in today. Uh, but I will be answering emails that were previously um, uh, sent to us. So it'll still be like a normal program, except for the call-ins. But I got an email a couple days ago from a woman who is upset with uh, much of um, what I say. And, and, and one point that she pointed out is that I don't understand modern dress, because when I speak about modesty, the standards that I'm talking about are kind of passe and old, and I don't understand modern clothing and dress. It's not, it's not the point. Modesty is not just for women, it's for men as well. It has not to do just with dress, but, but comportment and speech and everything else we do. And there are certain principles of modesty and dignity for the body that don't change with time. Fashion can change. But how we cover our bodies and carry ourselves does not change, should not. I know it's changed in modern days, but to our chagrin. Um, Monsignor Charles Mangan, a wonderful priest, has written an article, and it, it's taken from, it says here, it's adapted from a book um, that is from Queenship Publishing in Goleta, California. Queenship Publishing, Goleta, California. And uh, Father Mangan has, M-A-N-G-A-N, has taken it and adapted it from that little book. Um, I don't have a date on this, but it's um, uh, within our generation. <clears throat> and Father writes, The Forgotten Virtue, which is Modesty and Dress. And he says dress for both men and women has changed dramatically during the last 50 years. Much of what is worn today is meant to expose rather than conceal the human body. And I, You know, I have to agree, beloved. I have to agree. I look at women today. Uh, I, I'm, I tell you, I'm, I'm sometimes appalled, but shocked and gr- just, I guess, Grieved is the word for how women walk around. Um, Married women, Catholic women, traditional Catholic women even, and their daughters. Um, Father Mangan writes, For centuries, Christians have looked to the virtue of modesty as if it applies to vesture in order to judge what is appropriate. 
<clears throat> the Catholic tradition has given us a valuable definition of modesty, which is the virtue that regulates one's actions and exterior customs concerning sexual matters. It controls one's behavior so as to avoid unlawful sexual arousal in oneself or others. Modesty, he says, is one of the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit, which are perfections that the Holy Spirit forms in us as the first fruits of eternal glory. He's quoting scripture. Charity, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, generosity, gentleness, faithfulness, modesty, self-control, and chastity. To dress modestly, he writes, is to avoid deliberately causing sexual excitement in oneself or one's neighbor. One who dresses modestly shuns clothes that are known or reasonably expected to affect sexual arousal in oneself or others. Modesty is dress pertain modesty in dress pertains to both genders. Now, beloved, if I were writing this, I would have found a different expression than sexual attraction and all of that. But this is from a very good priest, and I think he just says it as it is, and I think it's important for us to hear. I think it's important for those who dress immodestly to hear this. A young, beautiful Catholic woman needs to hear this uh, when she walks around with tight clothing, exposed shoulders, short skirts, all of that, bare legs, all of that. She needs to hear this. She says, don't, don't put that on me. I, I'm not trying to arouse anyone sexually, myself or anyone else. Uh, the fact is, it's, if, if you're not trying to, then you're ignorant of what your dress causes people. Then if you're not trying to dress to be attractive in those ways, then you are, um, you're ignorant of... Um, how do I say it, of why you dress the way you do. Um, Pope Pius, Father Mangdon says, Pope Pius XII, who lived from 1939 to 58, 40, no, he was Pope from 39 to 58, in harmony with the magisterium and orthodox spiritual authors addressed the necessity of cultivating modesty. Beloved, if you're offended by any of this, um, I would beg you to have an open heart and not reject what God might be showing you. This isn't Mother Miriam speaking. This is a holy priest quoting holy popes. Open your heart to receive what God may be wanting to teach you that you might be more beautiful than ever. And Pope Pius said, quote, How many young girls there are who see nothing wrong in following certain shameless styles like so many sheep, you see? You might be offended and say, I don't do that, I don't dress for that purpose, I'm not immodest, but you might be, and you don't understand it. And Pope Pius XII says how many young girls there are who see nothing wrong in following certain shameless styles like so many sheep. They would certainly blush with shame if they could know the impression they make and the feelings they evoke in those who see them. And I want to tell you truthfully, I go to a Latin mass 
and on Sunday the church is packed with beautiful families, and there are young single girls who dress immodestly. They wear veils. They have no idea they're immodest. And if I spoke to them this way and told them this, they would blush with shame. They would cry. They'd be angry. They they might be angry. They might uh, absolutely disagree and think I'm really uh, old school and a prude. Um, but it's not true. It is true that they're immodest and they don't know it. And their mother, mothers do not know it because they allow their daughters to dress that way. And if the mother is against it and the daughters dress that way to go to church or any place or school, then the mothers have stopped parenting. Mothers, you cannot allow that. Father Mangum says this. The good, no, Pope Pius XII says this. The good of our soul is more important than the good of our body. And we have to prefer the spiritual welfare of our neighbor to our bodily comforts. If a certain kind of dress constitutes a grave and proximate occasion of sin and endangers the salvation of your soul and others, it is your duty to give it up. O Christian mothers, this is Pope Pius XII speaking, O Christian mothers, if you know what a future of anxieties and perils, of ill-guarded shame you prepare for your sons and daughters, imprudently getting them accustomed to live scantily dressed and making them lose their sense of modesty, you would be ashamed of yourselves and you would dread the harm you are making for yourselves. The harm which you are causing to these children whom heaven has entrusted to you to be brought up as Christians. Oh, mothers, I pray you're listening to this. Christian girls, still Pius XII, Christian girls think also of this. He's addressing you, young ladies. The more elegant you will be and the more pleasing if you dress with simplicity and discreet modesty, end quote. On November 8, 1957, Pope Pius presented the still valid principles of modesty and dress. Here they go. This is the Pope in 1957. These principles of modesty and dress, which apply in um, 2020. He says, clothing fulfills three necessary requirements, hygiene, decency, and adornment. These are so deeply rooted in nature that they cannot be disregarded or contradicted without provoking hostility and prejudice. Hygiene, he says, pertains mostly to the climate, its variations, and other external factors. There's the music, beloved. Our breaks have uh, changed a little bit, so we're going to come back to continue this. Uh, right after the break. You're welcome to, to write in. You cannot call in today, um, but we'll be right after the break to continue this article. Don't go away, beloved. And after that, we'll get to your emails. God bless you. We'll be right back.
The Liturgy of the Hours is prayed three times a day on the Station of the Cross at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern. The Liturgy of the Hours is a meditative and efficacious way to foster habitual prayer. It is the daily prayer of the Church, prayed throughout the world by priests, religious, and laity. For details about each hour or more information about the Liturgy of the Hours, visit thestationofthecross.com. Confusion on matters of faith and morals is widespread, even within the church. It can be disheartening, with clergy celebrating gay pride masses, the Pope considering allowing women to become priestesses. It is easy to lose sight of the true teachings of the church. LifeSite News Catholic can help. We are a clear, trustworthy news source that is dedicated to the teachings of the church. We, as the laity, have a duty to know and defend our faith and tradition. In order to do so, we must be educated on the teachings of the church and on the truth about current events and developments within the church. Follow LifeSite News Catholic on Facebook and Twitter, or sign up to receive our emails by going to LifeSiteNews.com in order to maintain your clarity and peace in the midst of chaos. The human body is a miraculous machine. The natural capabilities of the umbilical cord working alongside the placenta act as a lifeline to the child. A steady flow of oxygenated, nutrient-rich blood is fed to the fetus. The capabilities of the child's small home rival that of modern-day hospitals' intensive care units. Human life is sacred. Think about it. CoalitionForLife.com Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live, and we are going to continue our article um, by just for a few minutes before the next break, at which point we'll take your emails. Um, but uh, we're continuing on, uh, let's see now, um, where did I put that? Here it is. Um, on the article titled The Forgotten Virtue, Modesty and Dress by Father Charles Mangan that is uh, from a book by Queenship Publishing uh, in Goleta, California. And um, we wanted to read this specifically today because two reasons. One, uh, an email that I received a couple of days ago from a woman who is very much against my, she thinks my opinion, my ideas of modesty, um, actually, uh, they are my ideas, but they're not my opinions. The church is teaching. I, I'm not simply giving my opinions. Um, and the second reason is that the uh, the anguish I feel when I go to church, not only Novus Ordo churches, but Latin churches, and I see young women, even with their parents, who dress immodestly. They wear veils. Their clothes are beautiful, but they're they're too short. Their legs are bare. Their shoulders are bare. They're too tight. They're too low cut. Whatever it is, they're immodest. And these young ladies and their mothers have no idea that they are so immodest. They simply do not realize that. Um, Pope Pius XII said that they would blush in shame if they knew. 
if they knew. If they knew how I saw them and others saw them, they would blush in shame. And again, it's not because some people are more conservative than others. It's a right understanding of modesty. And so we began to read before the break that clothing fulfills three necessary requirements, hygiene, decency, and adornment. These are so deeply rooted in nature that they cannot be disregarded or contradicted without provoking hostility and prejudice. Hygiene pertains mostly to the climate, its variations, and other external factors, discomfort, illness, such, so forth. Decency involves the proper consideration for the sensitivity of others to objects that are unsightly or, above all, as a defense of moral honesty and a shield against disordered sensuality. Adornment is a legitimate and responds to the innate need more greatly felt by women to enhance the beauty and dignity of the person with the same means that are suitable to satisfy the other two purposes. Fashion, um, uh, Popeye says, has achieved an indisputable importance in public life, whether as an aesthetic expression of customs or as an interpretation of public demand and a focal point of substantial economic interests. The rapidity, the, the Pope is still speaking, the rapidity of change in styles is further simulated, stimulated by a kind of silent competition, not really new, between the elite who wish to assert their own personality with original forms of clothing and the public who immediately convert them to their own use with more or less good intentions. Pope Pius then um, isolated the difficulty with fashion. Quote, The problem of fashion consists in the harmonious reconciliation of a person's exterior ornamentation with the interior of a quiet and modest spirit. That is so important, beloved. Let me repeat it. The problem of fashion consists in the harmonious reconciliation of a person's exterior ornamentation with the interior of a quiet and modest spirit. I'm going to stop here to give you an example of what I came across of a woman coming to Mass in the morning dressed in her tennis outfit. Her... in the top, she was wearing a low-cut tank t- sleeveless tank top, and the bottom was a tiny little tennis skirt, and uh, which reached the top of her panties. Her whole legs were exposed, and she was could care less about any anyone else in church, and I think was a, totally oblivious to the fact that it was inappropriate. The priest had asked others to approach her, um, and. Finally, nobody would, and so he asked me. And he actually wrote out a two-page letter about the church's teachings and all of this, and he said, would you kindly speak to this woman and give her this letter? Because he's giving her the Eucharist every day, and she's uh, quite a bit naked. Um, And so I did. I pulled her aside, and I gave it to her to read, and we talked quite a bit. She's extremely offended, and I said... It's for others. It's not just, and she was angry that the priest might have complained. And I said, no, I'm not telling you who complained. I said, and it's not just one person. And I could say that honestly, because it was me and at least one other that I knew of. 
I said, no, no, no. It's a, it, how we dress affects others. It distracts us from the Holy Eucharist and all of that. She was really upset. And I said to her, you know, all you need to do, bring a wraparound skirt, put it on you in the car, go into church, take it off when you leave church and go play tennis, that kind of thing. A wraparound shirt, maybe a little shawl. Well, she was quite offended by that. And she came in pants the next day or two and then went back to her tennis outfit. She simply wasn't interested. She got angry. What's that got to do? What's my dress got to do with anything? Does the priest have a problem? That kind of thing. It's on the priest. It's not on her. It's terrible. It's terrible. There's an extreme example of someone who calls themselves a Catholic, um, but the interior is not formed. The interior is not formed. The problem of fashion, Pope Pius said the problem of fashion consists in the harmonious reconciliation of a person's exterior ornamentation with the interior of a quiet and modest spirit. That woman had no signs of a quiet immodest, and, and modest spirit. Absolutely not. And Pius went on to say, like other material objects, Fashion can become an undue attachment, even perhaps an addiction for some persons. The church does not censure or condemn styles when they are meant for the proper decorum and ornamentation of the body. But the church never fails to warn the faithful against being easily led astray by them. The human body is God's masterpiece in the visible world. These are Pope Pius' words. The human body is God's masterpiece in the visible world. Jesus elevated the human body to the rank of a temple and an instrument of the Holy Spirit, and as such must be respected. Certain fashions and styles create confusion in well-ordered minds and can even be an incentive to evil. It is possible to declare when the limits of normal decency have been inviolate. Uh, have been, it is possible to declare when the limits of normal decency have been violated. This sense of decency sounds an alarm when immodesty, seduction, lust, outrageous luxury, or idolatry of matter exists. What the Holy Father said in 1957 is still pertinent, quote, no matter how broad and changeable the relative morals or stock of st- No matter how broad and changeable the relative morals of styles may be, there is always an absolute norm to be kept after having heard the admonition of conscience, warning against the approaching danger. Style must never be proximate, a proximate occasion of sin. Now, the woman I spoke to had no conscience about this whatsoever. There was no warning. There was nothing, nothing. Um, but when you're getting dressed, if you think, you say, how do I judge? I tell you what, when you're putting something on before the mirror, moms, grandmothers, young people, because I see grandmothers dressing like young girls walking around in what used to be my underwear for tights showing their whole body. It is absolutely awful. How can, I, I don't know how to explain it. That is the height of immodesty um, and shame. When you're before a mirror, if you think, if your goal is to look 
with it and modern. Um, there's nothing wrong with that if it's modest. If you can't be with it and with it and modern and modest at the same time, choose God, choose modesty. And if you say, "Well, you know what? I'm not sure. The, I'm not sure about the line of this blouse. I'm not sure about." the sleevelessness or the open shoulders, or I wonder if it's too tight. I I wonder if the skirt is just kind of borderline in length. Any of those things, don't wear it. Throw it out. Give it to the poor. Give it away. Don't wear it. When in doubt, don't. Because if you doubt, someone's going to think it's immodest. Don't, Don't live on the border. Don't live on how much I can get away with. Live on how much I can honor God. And then you will attract, if you're looking to attract, holy men of God. Father Mangan goes on to quote the Pope. Those who design, promote, and sell fashions have considerable responsibility. If, God forbid, anyone purposely inculcates unchaste ideas and sensations, and we know that's the case, Uh, I could name store chains, and you could name them as well. Then there is present a technique of disguised malice. I don't even think it's disguised. For decency and dress to be restored, the intention of those who design the fashions and those who wear them must be upright. Beloved, you say, but I can't find clothing today. Oh, yes, you can. Just don't, if you stop buying it from the stores that sell immodest clothing, maybe they'll get the idea. There are immodest clothing lines on on the internet, and you can find them. You can find them even in stores. You can find them. You have to look a little harder, but they're here. For decency and dress to be restored, the intention of those who design the fashions and those who wear them must be upright. In both, there must be an awakening of the conscience as to their responsibility for the tragic consequences that could result from clothing, which is overly bold, especially if it is worn in public. I um, met outside of church uh, just this Sunday night, a beautiful 17-year-old young lady who had just returned with a busload of young people from the March for Life in Washington. And I, she's 17, and I said, what's your dream? She said, I want to start a business. I want to create modest clothes for us, for young people, because we can't find it anywhere. This is a 17-year-old. That's what needs to be done. Father Mangan continues, and he's quoting Pope uh, Pius. Clearly, the immorality of styles depends in great part on excesses either of immodesty or luxury. How is immodesty to be judged? The garment must not be evaluated according to the estimation of a decadent or already corrupt society, but according to the aspirations of a society which prizes the dignity and seriousness of its public attire. If that woman who sent me an email a couple of days ago saying that I have no clue what modern dress is about read this, she might have a different opinion. The garment must not be evaluated according to the estimation of a decadent or already corrupt society, which ours is, but according to the aspirations of a society which prizes the dignity and seriousness of its public attire. End quote from Pope Pius. We'll be right back, beloved. 
after this break. It's going to be a short one, and then we have one more paragraph to go, and we'll take your emails. The Station of the Cross invites you to join us each day for the Liturgy of the Hours at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern. The Liturgy of the Hours is the daily prayer of the Church and is made up of readings from sacred scripture, writings from saints and theologians, and small reflections. For details about each hour and more information about the Liturgy of the Hours, visit thestationofthecross.com. We hope you'll join us for this daily prayer of the Church each day at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on The Station of the Cross. LifeSite News is an international news agency devoted to defending life and family and restoring Christian culture. We aim to educate and activate our readers with the information they need to fight the most crucial battles of our day in their churches, workplaces, and families. Our motto is Caritas in Veritate, love in truth. We firmly believe that promoting the truth is an act of love, however hard it is to hear. Over the last 20 years, we have built a reputation for uncompromising reporting, no matter the cost. LifeSite News is by far the most popular pro-life website on the internet, with over 40 million unique users every year and growing. Check us out at LifeSiteNews.com. Tune in weekdays from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern Time for Sermons for Everyday Living. There's no better way to start your day than by tuning in to hear real sermons from real priests on topics important to you and your faith. For details about upcoming episodes and for podcasts of past shows, visit thestationofthecross.com and click on Sermons for Everyday Living under the Programs tab. That's Sermons for Everyday Living weekdays from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern on The Station of the Cross. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live, and we have a whole half hour to ourselves. There'll be a tiny break in between. And now I would normally take your calls, your texts, and your emails, and I, we cannot take your calls today because it's pre-recorded. I certainly have a number of emails before me, but I think this, is, this article is so important. And since you're not able to call in today, I think I'm going to take, um, uh, I, I think I'm going to continue in it just now. Um, uh, just so that we can complete it during this one program. It, it's just so important. We're talking about a modesty in dress, and this is for women and men, and it's for all ages, young men, young children, young women, um, everybody, everybody, everybody. And it's by Father Mangan. It's uh, from a book uh, published by Queenship Public- Publishing, which he put together kind of in a... In a an article, um, and is greatly quoting Pope Pius XI. And um, um, let me just see now. This is from the 50s. He says, um, wanton luxury is also excessive. Wanton luxury is um, also excessive. If the use of riches, even those obtained morally, is not moderated, 
than either frightful barriers, Pope Pius XII, either frightful barriers will be raised between classes or the entire society will be set adrift, exhausted by the race toward a utopia of material happiness. Let us contemplate well, Father says, the following three points concerning modesty in dress. Number one, the influence of styles. He says there is a language of clothing that communicates certain messages, even destructive ones. One who with knowledge and deliberation routinely dresses provocatively so as to entice another to impurity commits a mortal sin. I will reread this sentence. One who with knowledge and deliberation routinely dresses provocatively so as to entice another to impurity commits a mortal sin. The souls of both are wounded. Beloved, if you reject that statement, you are rejecting uh, God uh, because the, this is the teaching of the church. It's the teaching of the Christ who loved you and gave his life for you. Not a bunch of men in Rome, not a old prude on the radio called Mother Miriam. No, 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 no. If you entice someone to sin, uh, you are committing mortal sin. If you are responsible for their mortal sin. Jesus demanded purity in glances, in thoughts, desires, and actions, and warned against giving scandal. Isaiah prophesied that the city of Zion would be dirtied by its daughter's impurity. Pope Pius XII declared, quote, It might be said that society speaks through the clothing it wears. Through its clothing, it reveals its secret aspirations and uses it, at least in part, to build or destroy the future. Okay, point two. So the first is the influence of styles. The second point is the importance of control. Again, that's a fruit of the Spirit. Fashion designers, critics, and consumers are to recall that styles should be directed and controlled. Again, this is Pius XII. That styles should be directed and controlled instead of being abandoned to caprice and reduced to abject service. Those who make style cannot allow the craze to dictate when that particular trend goes against right reason and established morality. When it goes against right reason and established morality. I've heard mothers say, but come on, when I've, I've spoken to mothers about their daughters just looking like prostitutes, that's what hap- has happened with some And when I speak to the mothers about the daughters being immodest, the mothers look at me and say, are you kidding? You should see the way they dress in school. My, they tell my daughters that they're conservative. I said, well, that may be the case, but what's the standard? The standard is our blessed mother, not the immodest half-naked children at school. Parents, don't give up parenting. You're giving up your vocation. Don't be afraid of your children. Don't let them raise themselves. You will have formed them to go astray and be immortal. You will have done that. Mm. 
Let me see where I was. Um, consumers must remember that their dignity demands of them that they should liberate themselves with free and enlightened conscience from the imposition of predetermined tastes, especially tastes debatable on moral grounds. Number three. So number one, uh, excuse me, this is uh, the three points concerning modesty and dress. First, the influence of styles. Second, the importance of control. And third, moderation is necessary. All things. It's the scripture. Do all things in moderation. And Father, quoting Pope Pius, says, the respect for a standard measure is moderation. It provides a pattern by which to regulate at all costs greed for luxury, ambition, and capriciousness. Pope Pius urged, quote, stylists and especially designers must let themselves be guided by moderation in designing the cut or line of a garment and in the selection of its ornaments, convinced that sobriety is the finest quality of art. And I want to tell you, men, it's not just the women that I see at Modest, even in church. It's also you coming in with your wide-open T-shirts and all of that and shorts, so you sit there with bare legs in church, thongs. It's absolutely immodest and immoral. Um, You have no respect for the women, for others, uh, for the Holy Eucharist to come to church like that and to walk around like that, to walk around even the house, even the street without a shirt. When Christian decency is present, then one's dress is the worthy ornament of the person with whose beauty it blends as in a single triumph of admirable dignity. One needn't necessarily wear clothes popular decades ago in order to be modest. However, there are standards which are so basic that to transgress them, regardless of the era, E-R-A, One's good intention or ignorance is to offend against decency. Here are some practical helps, he says. Clothing composed of a transparent, that is, see-through material, is not modest because of its obvious intent to expose various parts of the body um, in need of cover. Okay, you say, but my blouse is sheer. It's made, designed that way because I have a a very beautiful slip under it. Well, you're not supposed to, we're not supposed to see your underwear under your clothes. That's not modest. Maybe beautiful to some eyes, but it's not modest. Not to see through a blouse. Not to see somebody's underwear under their blouse, no matter how beautiful the underwear is. And not to have it so tight that you see the lines of everything under their clothing either. This is my personal comment. Um, Okay, practical helps. Um, Shorts that are very short, that is, expose, I'm reading from Father Mangan, shorts that are very short, exposing much of the thigh, whether for a man or woman, cannot be regarded as decent. 
Athletic pursuits that use shorts and a jersey type of shirt may be tolerated, provided that both are moderate and no temptation is encouraged. Boys and men shirtless, shirtless, boys and men who don't wear shirts, shirtless without sufficient reason, which is an allowance is made for swimming and vigorous work and exercise, as long as temptation is avoided. But a shirtless man or even a boy is problematic, given that such may well be a necessary occasion of sin for another. Men, don't you think it's not? Shame on you if you are so selfish and so self-centered that you have no clue what you're, how you're affecting other people. The article continues, Men and boys not only have a responsibility to dress modestly, but they also are to encourage, to whatever extent they can, the women and girls of their acquaintance. To dress modestly, even avoiding those who do not, when they themselves are tempted to sin precisely because of that immodest clothing. But it must be admitted that the sight of unclothed, even partially unclothed, bodies of women and girls has generally inspired lust and desire more than the bodies of men and boys. And young ladies, if you say that's their problem, that's not your purpose, you are careless. That is, you care less about the souls of others. If I know something I'm doing is a problem for another, it may be their problem. Maybe it's not mine, but why would I cause it? Why won't I love them enough to not cause that in them? Why not? What harm is it to me to help a brother or sister and honor God? Last part of this article now. Clothing that reveals the front and back of women and girls are high, and highlights their breasts is reprehensible. You hear this? I couldn't have written this because I'm a little, I'm, I'm shy even reading it, but this is from a priest that has to be said. Skirts that rise much above the knee, emphasizing the shape of the leg for that very purpose are inappropriate. A lady in her early 40s stated that every time she purchases a skirt, regardless of the store, the clerk mentions that since she is tall and thin, she should buy something sufficiently short that will draw attention to her legs. And of course, this lady rebukes the suggestion. A wife and mother of two children recounted her unease when attending Mass to find herself, her husband, and her teenage son and daughter in the pew behind an adolescent girl who, with bare shoulders and a short dress, causes her husband and young son undue distraction during the holy sacrifice. This mother's young daughter is also adversely affected by the bad example of another girl approximately the same age. You see, if I were the pastor, and I'm not, and some of you are going to say, well, thank God you're not. If I were the pastor, women are never going to be priests or pastors. Please, God, they cannot be. If I were the priest of that church, I would not let her in the door. I'd have a sign, skirts, not above the knees, nothing sleeveless, nothing low-cut, no bare shoulders. If they, they'll have to go home and change their clothes. Or they could wear a shawl to go to church and cover themselves. The article ends this way. God has made the human body beautiful. Immodest attire neither 
contributes to the promotion of the human person, nor to the establishing of the kingdom. The modesty practiced by Jesus, Mary, Joseph, and the saints is obtainable and necessary for us. Oh, I hope I haven't made you angry by this article, beloved. It's perfect in everything it says. You may not like the way it was written. You may not like its bluntness. You may disagree. But if you are haughty and arrogant and angry and disagree, uh, you are missing out on the beautiful saint God has made you to be, on the beautiful soul he has made you to be, on the heart he has given you to love him and to love others as he has loved you. You are missing out on what it means to put others before yourself and not be self-centered, but to be free and to be a beautiful, beautiful creation of God to the world. And others do the same. We'll be back right after the break. LifeSite News is an international news agency devoted to defending life and family and restoring Christian culture. We aim to educate and activate our readers with the information they need to fight the most crucial battles of our day in their churches, workplaces, and families. Our motto is Caritas in Veritate, love in truth. We firmly believe that promoting the truth is an act of love, however hard it is to hear. Over the last 20 years, we have built a reputation for uncompromising reporting, no matter the cost. LifeSite News is by far the most popular pro-life website on the internet with over 40 million unique users every year and growing. Check us out at LifeSiteNews.com. Oftentimes, it is easy to think that we are facing an upward battle when it comes to fighting abortion. But our Lord reminds us that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Your faithful dedication will help us make abortion unthinkable in this country. Human life is sacred. Think about it. Coalitionforlife.com I worked in pro baseball for a long time, and we play on Sundays. And it was an easy excuse. I took the easy out and just didn't go to Mass. Got caught up in that whole selfishness, that whole, you know, um, I can do it all. The times when I was struggling were the times I needed God the most. And now that uh, I've come back and accepted God, my world has completely changed. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org today. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Welcome back to Mother Miriam Live, beloved. It's good to be with you, and we just have a little time left uh, and I'm going to um, go to your emails right now. Um, we have an email from Sarah who writes, Dear Mother Miriam, I am a practicing Catholic married to a non-Catholic man. <clears throat> we have been married a couple of years and have one young son. 
prior to his birth, we did not use contraception, and I was tracking my cycles with NFP. I thought he was on board with NFP, which is, after all, scientific. I am aware NFP should not be used as Catholic birth control, but thought it could be a natural way to keep him happy that pregnancy would be unlikely whilst keeping me happy that I was living, leaving as open to life without barrier methods. I was living, leaving us open to life without barrier methods. I understand. So, um, the husband's not Catholic, so he wouldn't agree with no birth control. And so you are Catholic and you agree with no birth control, but at least you have NFP uh, to, um, so you can be open to life. I understand what you're saying. Um, she says, but he has now told me he does not believe in it and wants to use contraception or pull out, in quotes. I am so torn. I know from listening to you that my first job is a wife, second a mother, and intercourse is a unitive act between spouses as well as procreative. And I will add, should never be one without the other. We have had intercourse, and he pulled out, as he told me prior uh, that he would, although I did not want this. Is this a mortal sin on my part? Um, It is on his part. But again, he doesn't believe it, so it's not mortal. It's deeply grave, but his accountability is not the same because it's not, uh, he doesn't believe it, so it wouldn't be mortal for him. He has told me he isn't Catholic, so I can't make him follow Catholic teaching. It's true. Is it best to continue with that pullout situation? Biologically speaking, there is in any event a chance of pregnancy from this, but I haven't told him that. Any advice would be greatly appreciated as my heart is breaking. God bless you, Sarah. Oh, my dear Sarah, that's a very difficult situation. He's not Catholic. I wonder if he's baptized. I wonder if he's Christian. What I would do is explain to him fully the, and I, I think in your case, NFP is is um, allowable uh, you, uh, because you've got a very difficult situation. I wonder if you could do two things with him. Fully explain that NFP is not Catholic birth control, but it is a way to um, uh, plan your uh openness to life on the part of your body based on natural cycles that God has given. And if he would respect that, it would mean that, um, uh, again, there'd only be one week during a month, generally, that you would not come together sexually. So if you could explain the whole thing to him well, um, that might help if it's just a matter of refraining a week during the month, perhaps, if your cycles are regular. The other thing you need to do is take him to the Old Testament and the story of Onan, O-N-A-N. Onan did the same thing as your husband. He pulled out. God put him to death for it. Your husband needs to know how serious that is. Um, I would purchase a book called The Bible and Birth Control. It's going to give you that story there, but you can also look up the story of Onan in the Old Testament, um, 
And oh, if he believes in, he doesn't have to be Catholic, but if he believes in God at all, um, Genesis chapter 38, if he believes in God at all, he'll see that God doesn't put people to death for many sins immediately, but he does, did put Onan to death immediately for the, for the sin of wasting his seed. And so I would speak very clearly on those two things and have something in writing very simple on NFP and print out Onan's story or have the Bible open to it and say, sweetheart, um, um, you, you agreed when we married, if you, again, you were married in the Catholic Church, he would have had to agree to allow you to uh, practice your faith and raise your children in the faith if you were married in the Catholic Church. And so, sweetheart, part of my practicing the faith is um, to not use contraception or birth control, and that means you can't either, and to pull out is a grave, grave, grave sin against God. We cannot do this. So uh, don't leave him. Um, it's not your moral, mortal sin at all, um, but he needs to know how grave a situation that is. Um, and I would say if you can continue using NFP and explain it to him uh, and show him how serious a sin it is um, and that he's actually going against his vows, he doesn't have to believe it, but he must respect your faith. He must respect your belief. And he should have known this before he married you. And apparently that may be a problem here if he didn't. Um, uh, you say you're a practicing Catholic married to a non-Catholic man um, and you have one young son, and you did not use conception um, prior to your one son. But I don't know if he knew this prior to being married. Married, He absolutely should have. If he knew it, then he's breaking a vow. If he didn't know it, then he has some leeway there, uh, excuse, but he must know it now. And uh, be as gentle as you can with him, and maybe ask the priest for help, um, and I would go to those two sources. A really good NFP explanation. Very, very simple, so he doesn't have to get into a whole scientific thing. And also the story of Onan and how displeasing it is to God. And that before God, he has no choice to do that. And that God has every right to put him to death on the spot. Does he want to take that chance? Okay. We have an email from somebody who writes it anonymously. Um, and says, hello, Mother Miriam. Um, in my area, there are healing masses going offered frequently. I've been to two or three different Catholic churches that offer healing masses. They all have people falling backwards with what they call resting in the spirit and also slain in the spirit. It's just a quiet falling back with a man to catch and help um, and and help that person to a lying position on the floor. I admit this has happened to me, and there is there are several moments of wonderful euphoric feelings associated with the experience. My question is, should I avoid these masses? They are offered monthly. They are run by three to four older women dressed all in white with doilies on their heads. Firstly, confession is offered with two priests available. Next, the rosary is said. Then there is a mass in communion. They bring the blessed sacrament and the monstrance out while the healing prayers are about to be said for everyone. So lastly, everyone lines up for prayers. 
where one of the women, always the same woman of the four, dressed in white, goes along to each person, praying in tongues, mixed with English for each person, with many falling backward, but not all. It is never the priest doing the hands-on healing prayers. The two priests that heard confessions and celebrated Mass have left the church once the Mass has ended. Please give me your advice as to whether I should completely avoid these gatherings. I struggle with this decision and respect your opinion. I am just not sure I should be going. I feel sort of uneasy about it. Thank you. God bless your ministry. I would say do not do not go. I'm not judging whether it's uh, offic- of, uh, official or, or not. Do not go. If it's official, let it be done by priests. If the priests leave, you leave. That's my short answer in the music that's ending our program for today. If the priests leave, you leave. Don't be a part of it. God bless you, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye, dear.